It's a great morning. I'm Pastor Corey. I am not the pastor here. Pastor John is in uh, Florida with his lovely wife, and they are enjoying some well-needed rest, and so they'll be back uh, Sunday for Father's Day. Make sure to bring someone fatherly. It doesn't have to be your dad. Bring somebody fatherly and celebrate them on uh, Sunday for Father's Day. It's going to be a great time. I uh, had the privilege of sharing a couple of Wednesdays recently, and while I didn't really go into the messages with any intention of making a series, we just preach out of what God's doing in us. And so God's just been doing kind of this thing. He's been te- taking me through this process. And, and so I'm just sharing out of the abundance of my heart of what God's been doing in my life. And, and so that just naturally has kind of dovetailed from part to part to part. So you can call it a series, you can call it three messages, but I want to bring you back up to speed because I realize many of you haven't been here on one of those Wednesdays where I shared. And a couple of Wednesdays ago, maybe three Wednesdays ago now, I shared a story called, uh, shared a message called the why and the what. And what we did was we likened our lives to a story. That's not a big big stretch, right? We think of our lives in a story. We know that God has created us. We're fearfully and wonderfully made, and he is the author of our life. And so what happens is we believe that just like a good story, our lives are unfolding. God is, is in the process of doing the things that he's put in our heart to do. And, and, and we're, we're all human beings. We love stories. And what do we love to know about stories? We love to know the who, what, where, when, and why, right? And just like a good journalist always seeks to capture the who, what, where, why to give someone the best depiction of what a story is, many times in our lives, It's a completely natural desire to want to know the who, what, where, when, and why about the story of our lives. But many times those questions can actually lead us to not being fruitful because we can just end up kind of sitting on the sidelines going, well, I'm not really going to make a move until God shows me, you know, when he's going to do it and how he's going to do it and where he's going to do it and who he's going to use and and why he's doing it. And so we realize that you can't really just camp out waiting for all all the five W's to be answered in your life before you be plugged into the story that God has for you. So what we decided is we said we can pick two. Let's take two that we really can press into, two that we can really ask God about so that we can get started in our life. And the first is the why. And the why is the most important one because it's the big perspective. It's the whole, why are you created? Why are you on this earth? Why has God pushed you in this season for this time? And that's a question that we need to press into all the time. God, what do you have for me? Why am I here? And as we do that, what we learn through God's word is the why has to do with eternity. What we realize is our lives are not just about education and getting a job and then hopefully retiring with someone we love, but our lives are about an eternal story. And so in the why, we learn God's eternal perspective for our lives. And some of the most miserable people on earth are people that are living a very small story about how can I just get enough for me and mine, and how can I just get enough so I can sit on a beach for the rest of my life. And as fun as that sounds, we know at the end of the day, that would be a disappointing end to a life to know that that's all you've accomplished. God has put eternity in our hearts. He's put something in us that is longing to have a significance, to be a part of something much bigger than we are. And so when you begin to wrestle with the why, when God begins to show you that the real reason you're here is to be a part of eternal work, the kingdom of God, to follow Jesus and to be a part of the thing that he's doing. And so that was the why and the what. And then last Wednesday, we talked about God's epic story. We say with me, say epic. I, God, you hear the kids say it all the time, man, epic, everything's epic. Well, if everything's epic, nothing's epic. But truly, God's story is epic. It is beyond scale, beyond size. There's nothing you compare it to. It's in a complete class of its own. And his story is a story of redemption and transformation. Since the very beginning of time, he, he created something that was good. He gave man choice. Man sinned. 
the sin brought all kinds of consequences and brokenness. Many of you, brokenness touches your lives. It touches the world that we live in. Brokenness is why gas is 425 a gallon this week. Broken is why you can't get along in your family. Broken is why things you know, can be very disappointing and not happen the way you think they're going to happen. But, but what we realize is that God has an epic story of, of redemption and transformation. Redemption in the sense that through Jesus, in one moment, in one decision, in one confession from your mouth, Jesus becomes your Lord and Savior, and your entire identity has been secured. Just like that. I mean, you could spend your whole life trying to earn it and you'd never get there. But in one moment, one decision, Jesus secures your identity, says, now you are not Corey who is messed up and you're not Corey of broken relationships and Corey of failed first starts, but now you're Corey who is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But we know that you come up to that altar and you make that decision and your identity is secure, but then you walk away. And how many of you know you walk, you go home to the same house with the same people, you look in the mirror, you look the same, you have the same job Monday morning, you got the same consequences that you're dealing with from years of not following God. And so we know that not only is God redeeming us, he's redeemed us by name, but then there's a transformation process that begins at that moment of serving him and that stops when they put you in the ground. And, and that just keeps on going until you're living with Jesus face to face. And it's a story of redemption and transformation. And what we learned is, is that the, the love of God is that fuel of transformation. That love of God is what is shed abroad in our hearts. It's the thing that he has put on the inside of us to connect us with his epic story of making things right. Do you know that God loves this world? Do you know that God loves you? Do you know he loves your crazy family? Do you know he loves the crazy people you work with. He has an epic story of of redemption and transformation. Quite frankly, he's just making things right. That's what he wants to do. And so when our lives fuse with his epic story of redemption and transformation, we get to step into a story that is so much bigger than us, so much more fulfilling, and it leads us to actually live out all the things that we could have spent our whole life striving for, being blessed, having great relationships, having more than enough when we need of it. Those are things that God has put on the inside of us to desire, but they're things that we must get by seeking his kingdom first, like the Bible says. So that was Wednesday's story. And so what we did was we just kind of kept getting more specific. First, we talked about the why and the what, and then we talked about, you know, okay, well, what does that look like? Well, that looks like you wrapping your mind around the fact that God is in the process of transforming all of us. That if you got into this hoping that you could just stay the same and stay out of hell, then you're going to be a really disappointed camper when this is all done. Because the, the whole thing is about his transformation, about stepping into his story of transformation. And we ended uh, Wednesday's message with four kind of bullet points. The first one was this epic story of redemption and transformation. It's not about me. Say that. It's one of the best phrases that you could ever say in your life. Say this. It's not about me. Say it again. It's so good. It's not about me. So this epic story is not just about me. I get to be a part of it, but, but the thing that I'm a part of is bigger than my part, right? And so, and so we get to be a part of his story. And the second thing is that God's story changes everything. I mean, it's a total game changer. It's not like you just made a decision, okay, that's nice. Now Jesus is on my side, and now I can just go back to doing life, and hopefully it's a little bit better. But this is like a game changer. This means your identity is renewed, and you begin, the, the love of God came into your heart, and now it's in a process, a continual process of transforming you, making you more like him, so that you can be larger and larger and part of what he's doing in this earth. And so it changes everything. And not only that, but God's story continually transforms us. So we have to just like, we just got to have a heart that's open to that. That just says, you know what? I am in process. And I didn't share this first service, but you know, one of the things that's so troubling sometimes about the body of Christ is that we can spend so much time 
doing exactly what Jesus said not to do, which is judging people. So, you know, the Bible says judge a tree by its fruits. And so it's one thing to say that person is sinning. That is sin. What they're doing is not line up. But it's a whole nother thing to say why that person's sinning. It's a whole nother level to say, well, they're, they're just like that because they want this. And that, that just goes way beyond our comfort, you know, way beyond what God has called us to do. And the reason that we need to not judge people is because we are all in process. Say it. I'm in process. If you don't like what you see right now, come back, check me out in another year. I'm going to be a different person. I'm going to know more stuff. I'm going to have more of the fruit of the spirit in operation. I'm going to be more like Jesus. Hopefully that's the destination that we're all on. And so we just need to have grace with one another because if you saw a snapshot of me seven years ago, there, there were things that weren't good about me seven years ago. And there's still things that are not good about me. And, but, but my identity is secure in him. And I'm committed to this process of him transforming me, not me stressing out every day. I just got to be better and I got to stop. But just resting in him and allowing him to make me who he wants me to be. And so the fourth point is this, God's transformation. How do, how do we be transformed, right? What does that process look like? The word abide, abide in God. It says in first John and a bunch of places, if we abide in God, then he abides in us. It says his love abides us and his love is that thing that transforms us. So if you're here today and you think being a Christian means I got to stop swearing, I got to start stop doing this, I got to start and I got to start and I really got to stop saying that and go in here. Well, that's great. You probably should. But it's the love of God shed abroad in your heart that's going to transform you. It's not only going to help you have the power to not go to those places or do those things that aren't bearing good fruit in your life, but it's even going to help kill the desire to. Wouldn't it be even better if we just didn't have a desire to sin? Wouldn't that even be great? Well, that's what the love of God does is it transforms us. So those were kind of the four things and then what we we ended it by saying, well, okay, so if abiding is really the key to being a part of God's transforming epic story, what does abiding look like? I mean, really, what is that? And so I shared five different points, and I'm not going to tell you because you have to go get the CD in the bookstore after service. Wednesday, June 5, God's epic story. Uh, but, but some of them were a believe. You know, we just merely have to believe. Uh, according to the measure that we believe is the, according the, is the measure that we're going to flow. And, and one of them was don't stop don't stop. There's so many believers. I think probably the worst epidemic that you can fall into is just stopping. You know, no, no weapon that is formed against you, no mountain that you come against can stop God's plan for your life except one thing and you stopping. And if we would just realize that there's only one way to fail and that's by stopping, then we would say stopping is not an issue. No plan B, not even going to say the S, it's the new S word, stop. We're not going to even say that word anymore. We're just going to keep on going. And there were some other things that you'll see on that, on that recording about how to abide and so, like I said, I didn't plan on getting into a series by any means, but what happened is I just kept like kind of whittling it down. Okay, well, how do we get even more specific? What, we know abide looks like these five things, but what does this process uh, really look like? And I want you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Isaiah 58. We're going to kind of camp out in Isaiah 58. There's 14 verses in it. It's going to take us through um, a really rich story today that I believe is going to encourage all of you in your walk. And I'm going to set Isaiah up for just a second here, because I realize some of you may not be as familiar with the book of Isaiah. It's in the Old Testament. Isaiah was a prophet. He lived, uh, he ministered just ballpark 700 years before Jesus came. Why, what was Isaiah's function? Well, people, God's people, the Israelites, God's people, the 12 tribes that he had called to be his, you know, the apple of his eye, uh, they, they were like us. They got really excited about serving him. They saw him do amazing things, and then they just kind of tapered off. And they kind of went back to the old habits of just trying to make a way for themselves and, and being frustrated and offended when things didn't go the way they thought. And so they just began to kind of pull out a little bit. And although they still had an identity in him, they weren't being transformed by him. They weren't living. And so God, in his mercy, says, listen, I am faithful to complete what I've begun. And so he sends a guy 
guy like Isaiah to, to just be a, a mouthpiece, to speak to these people who could not hear God. And he came and he just spoke to them. He spoke to them that he, he spoke very real talk. What you're doing is bad. What you're doing is going to cause loss of life. What you're doing is going to cause you to be barren. But I have a way. I have a plan since the beginning of time to bring redemption and transformation. I'm going to call you back to me. I'm going to, I'm going to raise up leaders who will, who will favor you and who will take you out of captivity. I'm going to lead you and guide you. I'm going to send people who will help you, help you follow after them because God wants to fix what's broken. He wants to redeem it. He wants to make it right. And so he sent Isaiah to speak. And so what we'll be reading is what God gave Isaiah directly to say to the people to deal with them in the place that they're at. Now, I need some help for my usher friends. They're going to bring out some props. Thank God for our ushers. And as we are, I want to, I want to make, I want to kind of start with this case, okay? We talked about our lives being a story. Now I want you to think about your life as a well-watered garden. We see this imagery in Isaiah. We see it in different parts of the word. God wants your life to be like a well-watered garden. Well, what's in a garden? What's so great about a garden, right? You have variety. You have life. You have growth. You have water. You have, there's just, it's just something beautiful about a garden. There's different colors. It's vibrant. God wants our lives to be like that. He wants there to be variety. He wants the things that are growing to be maturing. He wants to, to make it, the world a beautiful place because of the way that you live your life. And so my usher friends here are going to help us with a couple of props because are you visual like I am? No? Okay, put the props away. They're not visual, just me. It's just me and my wife. She's very visual. I've learned this. I can say, I can say 10 things to her and until I draw a picture, it doesn't, right? That's why she's so artistic. So one thing we learned, and I am by far not an expert on gardening, but I did plant some grass seed this week. So of course, if I plant grass seed, you know it's going to creep into a message somehow. And, uh, and so let's talk about how we make things grow. There's a lot of different ways, but one of the most, I mean, the, the, the foundational things to making something grow is water, right? You must have water. And so what we learn is there's different ways to water, but as I was, I kind of knew about this, had to go look and make sure I was right. Deep, you know, they call it, if you're a gardener, you understand what deep watering is. When you really want something to thrive, you, you deep water it. And what that means is you put it in a situation where just, it's just continually getting moisture. And what happens is that moisture goes deep, deep, deep into the ground. And that moisture leads the roots. The roots grow where the moisture is. The roots will grow down. And there is actually somewhere down there, there is a place where it's just kind of like permanently moist. You know what I mean? It's not a place that varies because of the temperature, just like the ground stays, what is it, 55 or whatever it is. You know, There's a, a, a moisture level that's pretty, pretty standard. And that if your roots can get down to that thing, boy, it doesn't really matter what the summer heat doesn't happen, what the wind does, you've got tapped in. And so there's two different ways to water. And the first way will be the way that I water, and which is wrong. And, you know, most of us have a hose that looks like this. And uh, you're kind of wondering if it's on right now, aren't you? It's not. So it's not. So, you know, this is what we do. A guy like Corey gets all excited about planting seed, gets all new excited about a, a fresh experience. My neighbor Carl back there let me his rototiller, and I, got, I, did it, man, I did it the right way. Fertilizer, seed, I went all out to fix where my wife drove alongside the driveway. And so, I'm sorry, I'm not supposed to say those kind of things when I preach. I'm sorry. So pray for me. So, uh, so this is what Corey does. He gets all excited, and he gets out there, and he waters it, and he gets on his hands and knees, and he kind of looks, I think I see it growing, you know, and no, it's, it's nothing. And, and so we check out, and that's what we do. It's the same thing when I work out. I mean, you look in the mirror about every day, and he changes yet? No. And so, and so we water, and we water, and we water, and then what happens is life just gets busy, and, we, and I forget, you know, I'm busy, and one day I'll be at work and I'll go, 
oh, I haven't watered that grass in like three days. Oh, it's been hot. And so I'll come home at lunch, and sure enough, the ground is parched, and the grass is kind of beginning to wither, and it's like, okay, okay, you know, and I'm trying to make up for three days, you know, right, right? And then I go away, and what do I do? I get busy again, and I forget, and then I come back again, and you know, and it grows to some degree, but I'm by no means creating a root system that is going to help this stuff deal with August, because how many of you know in Indiana, August comes. And, uh, and so, so that's the way I water, but if you really want to water something, and most things at least, that have deep roots, some things only have shallow roots, so this doesn't apply, but in our lives, it certainly applies. This is a soaker hose. My good friend Miriam hooked me up with her soaker hose. And have you all seen these before, right? So it's, if you feel it, it's kind of porous and it's kind of spongy. And, and, and what happens is this is not a real exciting water show. If you've know, you, you got four boys like me, they're not going to get really excited about the soaker hose unless they're like beating each other with it, which <laughs> that would be exciting. But we should get one. And uh, so <laughs> just sit in the picture window and watch it. And... Uh, so this thing soaks, and so what happens is you just leave the water on. You just run it like 12, 24 hours, right? You know this. I'm not telling you anything new. And what happens is this thing just over time and over time, over time, just slowly. It's not very impressive, it's, but, it's, but it's continuous, isn't it? It's consistent, and it keeps on happening. And then these roots have every chance of getting deep down into a place. And I guess I, I would ask the question to you, if our lives are a well-watered garden, and if our well-watered garden has everything to do with the way that we follow God, here's kind of the hard elephant in the room question. How do you serve God? Do you serve him like this? You know? I mean, do you serve him like, man, that was a really exciting service, and woo, I'm, I'm rocking this week, and I'm going to start my Bible reading clan, and, and then just, like, life gets busy, and you kind of forget about it, and then you're like, oh, it's been, like, a couple of weeks since I opened the Word, and, man, okay, I'm going to do I'm going to pray for three hours today. And, and, you know, and you just create habits that you can't sustain, and you get frustrated with yourself, and, yes, I'm telling my life story. And... <laughs> And so, as opposed to, as opposed to, you know, just living a lifestyle where you're continually watering, where you're just continually investing, you're continually following God in the little, unimpressive, seemingly mundane things, just showing up, giving a kind word to somebody, following God when he shows you a little something to modify in your behavior or in your pattern, you just start to do it. And there's no band, there's no marching bands, you know, revving you up. There's nobody patting you on the back. It's just the living in the trenches of following after Jesus and letting that transforming love change your life. And so those are the two different ways. And so I, I would say in this message today that we want to get to a place where, where, like the Bible says, that he who waters will be watered. We want to get ourselves into a position where following God, where we are completely, our minds are completely wrapped around this idea of watering in the things that we do to serve God and then letting him water us. And the goal is to bring us to a place where our roots are deep. And so when gas goes up to 425 a gallon this week, and, you know, when, when you watch the news and they say stocks are falling or rising or, or you hear about the government doing this and all of a sudden you just go, you know, I mean, it's, yeah, that's not good, but it doesn't like ruin your day. See, Paul, in that message on Wednesday, we were in Galatians 6 and he said, you know, I can only boast in one thing and that's the power of the cross. The power of the cross is the thing that transforms us. That's that love that was let loose at the cross into our lives to change us. He said, he said, I can't, not only can I only boast in it, but it's kind of ruined me for the world in the sense that I'm no longer attached to the world. I no longer am looking to the world to fulfill me, to make me happy, to, to confirm me or affirm me. But now I'm kind of like not indifferent because God has called us to the world to be in it, but not of it. But it's like that thing doesn't have a hold on me anymore. And he even goes far to say in that section that the, and the world, frankly, sees me a little different. And that's kind of a wake-up call when you get saved that 
sometimes the world sees you a little different too. In fact, all the time they say, sometimes people don't want to hang out with you anymore. Sometimes people don't like the fact that what you're being transformed in is bringing conviction to them and they just don't like you anymore. And so that's a real part of following after God is kind of having a right perspective about the world. And so are you in, um, are you in Isaiah 58? We're going to get there in just a second. But before we do, I want to give you something visual for all my visual people. This is a graph. <laughs> this is uh, X is the bottom, right? If you remember from math, Y is, is the vertical axis. And so what this is a graph of is, this is maturity in Christ. I will move out of the way so my friends in the other section can see us. Maturity in Christ. West Siders. Oh, that's good. West Side. How you doing, West Side? <laughs> flash, me, flash me a sign. So this is maturity in Christ, which you cannot read. And then this is time, Right? And so the moment that you get saved, maybe it happens in a service like it did for me in high school. And I finally just heard a compelling presentation of the gospel. And it was like, it, there was no reasoning it. There was no like, yeah, it was just like, that is right. I, I just, that connects with me. I know that's right. And so I responded to an altar call like many of you have. And so there you go. Boom. Day one. Time is zero. And so what happens is you just begin to grow. That's the goal, right? This is what we want to do until the day we are facing Jesus face to face. We just want to keep on growing. Time keeps on going. The transforming love of God just keeps on going. But what happens for many of us, in fact, probably all of us at some point, is that somewhere along this deal, we stop. And what happens is we begin to kind of just kind of coast a little bit. I don't really know if it's possible to coast in the kingdom of God. I mean, you're really either going forward or you're going backwards in God's kingdom. But, but you know, we're kind of, we've plateaued. We're not really, yeah, great. Praise God, we're better than we were here, but we're not really doing any, anything. And, and if you sustain this very long, then this is what happens. And you just begin to wane. And as I saw this visual from another pastor a while back, and he said, this is the kind of person that makes pastors crazy. <laughs> Because you become really needy, and you know a lot, but you're not living it, and you don't, you're not bearing a lot of fruit in your life, and now you're dealing with consequences of that, so now you're kind of like becoming really needy, and so your focus is getting back on yourself where you were back here when it was all about you. And, and, and sometimes our success here is because our growth is all about us. We're reading books, we're getting discipled, we're going to mentoring, we're doing all the things that you're supposed to do when you get saved to really get a foundation under you. But then what, what happens here? What is this point? Because I would argue that probably all of us have dealt with this. What happens at that glass ceiling? And I would say that, that that's the point where God begins to have you start doing other things for other people. It's the point where God starts to put you in messy situations. It's the part where he says, your life is not your own. You're bought and paid for with a price. And now I have got some people I want you to minister to. But they're not going to be like friendly, smiley people that pat you on the back for what you believe. They're going to be people who hate you. And they're going to be people who disagree with you. And they're going to be people who say they believe it, but then don't live it. And then their lives are in shambles. And so what happens is there, we get to a place where we just have to make a decision. Am I going to push this personal ministry glass ceiling, going to break through it? You wanted a breakthrough? Am I going to, yay! Or are we going to do this for a little while and then eventually this? And so this is what's at stake. I mean, this is why what I'm sharing with you, I have such a burden for this morning and why it's so important. Let's go to Isaiah 58, starting with verse 1. Now, there's, remember, Isaiah came to speak to some hard-hearted people 
who were not accomplishing what God's picture, God's story was for their lives. And he starts with this. I'm going to warn you, this is pretty bold, okay? So just hang on, put your seatbelt on. Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud, don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and they seem delighted to learn all about me. They, they act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending that they want to be near to me. Somebody say, ouch. Somebody say, ouch. This is good. This participation is good. So, so you could read that and go, wow, man, God is really mad at them. But I'll tell you what, there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. And many times we run from conviction, but conviction is good. Conviction is like a great coach that says, you've got a part of your swing that's slowing you down. You've got a, a part of your drag as you swim that's pulling you back. Let me correct this. Let me, let me call it out. Let me give you some answers. Let me correct it so that you can go further faster. We, we wouldn't say to that coach, man, you're just hating on me. You just hate the way I swim. No, it's, that's what you're supposed to be doing. You're, you're helping me go faster faster, further. And this is exactly what, the, what a loving God is doing. He's bringing conviction that says, I've got so much more for you, but your current situation is, is holding you back. You'll never get there on this trajectory. And so he says, the quick word, uh, he says, the people say, we have fasted before you, they say, why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves. Don't you even notice it? Right? So have you ever done something like worked really hard at it and then it just d- ended up being the wrong thing or the person you were doing it for didn't appreciate it or the whole thing fell apart like half of my maintenance projects and it's just at the end of the day it was like you just ended up going buying the new thing anyway and what are you, you just dejected, you're frustrated, you don't even care, you don't even see the reason between why it didn't work, you're just mad because you put a lot of effort, that's what these people are like, they're like we have fasted before you God, you're telling us that we're missing the mark, what are you talking about, we fasted, why aren't you impressed, we've been very hard on ourselves as if that's somehow, you know, a merit of honor that we've made it hard for ourselves and you don't even notice it. I'll tell you why I responded. God said, it's because you're fasting to please yourselves. And there, that's part of this, this line. There's this line where all of a sudden God says, it's not, this story is not your story. It's not about you anymore. Now it's about being a part of my story. And that's the decision you have to make. Do I go on with him and life gets great? Or do I just stay and keep it to be about my small little story? My four and no more, as they say. And so that's what he says. And, and, and they're crazy. They're like, we wouldn't be fasting if we were trying to please ourselves, right? I go get a cheeseburger. I wouldn't fast if I want to please myself. But he says, he goes on in, in the second half of verse three. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions. There's a phrase, right? How many of you have gone through the motions before I have? You humble yourselves by going and go through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. So with great, you know, with great outward appearance, we're doing things, man. You dress in burlap and you cover yourself with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? Ah, That's pretty harsh, isn't it? So this conviction leads him into a next section of correction. See, conviction wouldn't be loving if there weren't correction, if there wasn't a way out, right? And so he begins to bring him into a place of correction. Verse 6, he starts, no, this is the kind of fasting I want. Because it would be cruel to just say you're missing it, but not tell you how to get it, right? So he says, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. And this one makes me giggle. Do not hide from relatives who need your help. Yeah, that hits home, doesn't it? So there's always conditions before a blessing, right? God always says, you know, he says there's a blessing, but there's always a condition. There's always something you have to do so that you end up at the right place at the right time to be able to experience it. And so that his blessings actually have you continue on in this trajectory. Some of the worst things that can happen to you is you get blessed. 
And all of a sudden you get blessed. And now there's more to lose, isn't there? You don't want to risk next time because I'm so blessed now. Got a bigger house, got a bigger car. I don't, I'm not sure that I can continue to give like this because I might not be able to maintain the blessing. And that can take us into a really scary place. So let's look very quickly at some of the specific things. And it's so interesting. The things that he corrects us to do in order to follow after his heart all involve people. Isn't that interesting? God loves people. He loves all of the people that live with you, that work with you, that you run into on the street. He loves those people. And as a driver, if you're a type A driver, one of the best phrases you can say is, you are more important than me when you drive behind someone being crazy. Just say it. You're more, than, you're more important than I am. And it will completely change. I had to do that. And that will completely change the way you drive. So he says these things. Here's some really practical things that we need to be doing if we're really following after God. One, free those wrongly imprisoned. What does that mean? Work for justice. Work for, find places where there's injustice and be a part of the solution. God will lead you. God will gift you for it. But what are some of the things that are unjust in this world? Abortion is unjust, right? Human trafficking, unjust. Poverty, unjust. They are things that should not be. If the church is the church and God has given us the instruction to be the hands and feet of Jesus, these things ought not be. And so the part of a healthy life of following after God is having a margin in your life for being a part of things that are unjust and fixing them. He says next to lighten the burden of those who work for you. Serve people. All of us are flowing with people all day long, everywhere we go. People, you are not put on this earth to be served. And one of the most frustrating things for me is to have lunch with somebody who does the old tip game. And the search, well, the waitress isn't very good, so I'm just going to pull some of their tip back. And they kind of pride themselves on, you know, being like an expert on a connoisseur of fine service. Just drives me crazy. Because it's like, I'm not on this earth to be served. I'm on this earth to serve. What can I do to help you? What can I do to lighten your burden? That's the heart of God inside of a believer. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. How do we do that? We'll talk about that in a second. Share your food with the hungry. Great opportunities in this town. I see Kira over here. Food Finders is an amazing organization. Some of you got to take your kids and go f- sign up on family day and get involved and find out how to show your kids that not everyone lives as good as you do, you know, and, and, and change their lives. And so uh, opportunities to share your food with the hungry, give shelter to the homeless. You can go down to Lum, and I did this years ago. It was a blessing. Took a short workshop, three-hour class, and then spend a night from seven to seven or whatever and, and just, just served and got to know people. And just, it's so good for you. You know, they may not remember you. It doesn't matter. It's so good for you to be at the hands and feet of Jesus. And so those are opportunities that maybe you need to do to kind of add some spark into this life and break through that glass ceiling. And then it says to give clothes to those who need them. How many of you have extra clothes in your, in your closets that you could find someone that looks like they might fit you and begin to help them and clothe them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. I will leave that alone and let you stew in that. But there was one in here that really got me, and it was let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind them. And I was asking, like, well, what does that look like? And it was just as quickly as I could think, man, that is forgiveness. There is no greater way to free, to break the chains of of bondage on people than to forgive them, to extend forgiveness. There is only one way forward in your life, and it's through the door of forgiveness. God will not you will not water your garden. He will not bring you to the place that he's promised. You will not see the fullness of God in your life if you harbor unforgiveness towards people. It's just plain and simple. It is only one doorway that leads to your future of being a well-watered garden, and it's the door of forgiveness. And, and how do we do that? We abide in God. We take the offense, to, we take the hurt, we take it to God. And even if they never ask our forgiveness, we make a decision to let them go. It's a part of our calling. Let them go. Free them. Doesn't mean that the relationship's the same, perhaps, but let them go. Remove the bondage. In fact, I saw one quote this week. It said, forgiveness is a decision to release a person from the obligation that resulted when they injured you. 
right? And so what do we do? Maybe they never even ask our forgiveness. Maybe they never even realize they hurt us and are in debt to us. What do we do? We abide in God. We take that care to him. We abide in him. He abides in us. His love continues to transform us, and it causes us to break the chains in our lives as well. And then this is the promise, verse 8. Then if you do these things, your salvation will come like the dawn, and your wounds will quickly heal. How many of you have some wounds that need to be healed? The salvation will come like the dawn. Your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward. The glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. And then when you call, the Lord will answer, and he'll say, yes, I am here. Boy, if you think of all the things that you could ask of God, are they not all pretty much summarized in that section? For the work of salvation, that that ongoing work of making things right, restoration, wholeness, not just going to heaven when you're died when you die, but but literally living heaven like it is on earth and being a part of that salvation process. So salvation comes like the dawn. Now, in, in Philippians 2, Paul said that we need to work out our salvation. So when we talk about God's story of, of, of redemption, securing our identity in him, but then transformation, making us more like him over time, with the, what we realize is that we have an active part of that process. So what we're talking about in all of these things is what Paul's talking about in Philippians 2 when he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. Find out how it works. Okay, so I'm a new creation in Christ. What does that look like? If I'm new, then probably everything's going to change in my life. How do I get to that place? By abiding in God, by allowing his transforming love to make the difference on the inside of you. And what he does is just like he did through Isaiah to his people, he will convict you little by little. He'll show you your condition. He'll show you how it's stopping you from being a well-watered garden. And then he'll give you correction and instruction. And then you have the opportunity to take that instruction and work it out. Say, work it out. And when you work it out, I'm telling you what, you break through that glass ceiling. It's an exciting time. So he, he, he begins to, he, promise, he makes a couple of promises and then he comes right back to the conditions. Look at the condition in verse nine. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Boy, is that not a word for the body of Christ? We struggle with that, don't we? And, and sometimes in the name of prayer, sometimes in the name of discernment, we can very quickly speculate and judge and gossip and talk about people. And, and that can't be. We, we just can't be like that. And so he says it. He says, man, if this is going to trip you up, stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. And then he goes back to the practical. Feed the hungry, help those in trouble. And then he says, then he just like opens up the faucet, man. He says this, then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. And and, and he says, the Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden. Somebody say, there it is. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. And then this gets really exciting because that's good news, right? That's good news. But then he goes on, verse 12, and some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. You will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. This transforming work that's just like a fire on the inside of you, it's going to spend some time just working things out in you. But as you mature in Christ, it's just like in the military, as you just go from rank to rank to rank, you know, he begins, you see one thing, you master one thing, now you can be put in charge of other things. And so God continually expanding the role that you get to play in his epic story of redemption and transformation. And this is what happens. And so he says, literally, I'm going to use you personally I'm going to use you and I'm going to, and I'm going to literally 
you're going to be on the front lines of restoring what's broken. You're going to be rebuilding cities. You're going to be coming to places where the enemy is ravaged and you're going to begin to rebuild like Nehemiah and you're going to begin to, 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 to mentor people and to build people back up. And literally, you're going to change the environment that you're in. And so that's really exciting because that's, that's really living and breathing God's epic story. But then it's so curious. He ends with two verses in, in Isaiah 58. And verse 13 says this. It's kind of like the infomercial that says, but wait, there's more, right? <laughs> Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath in everything that you do on that day and don't follow your own desires or talk idly. Now, I'm going to just disclaimer really quick. I do not have this figured out. I really don't. The Sabbath is, you know, I've, I've been around people who said like the Sabbath shmabbath. It's, you know, Jesus is our rest. We don't have to really think about that. That's not a law that we have to worry about because, you know, initially it was six days work, one day rest. And it was serious, man. You don't do anything. You don't, you don't work. You don't do anything for profit. You just rest in God's presence. And then when Jesus died and arose on the first day of the week, they, we kind of went to a Sunday worship where Sunday became kind of giving the first fruit of our week. And that's why we're here this morning. He said, but, but you have to observe the Sabbath. And I'll tell you, I failed miserably at this. I haven't done this well. I, I'm still trying to figure out what it means because, and this is why I say what it means. The Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. So, so that means that God has a unique way that he wants you to observe the Sabbath. But there should be even a day in your week where you are more than normal, focusing on him, creating opportunities to invest in him, allowing him to give you opportunities to rest and to recharge and to hear from him. And when you're not in his story, man, that just seems like a burden. What do you mean? It's a day where I can't do what I want. No, he didn't say that. It's a day where you let him have a voice into how you spend it. And this is what he promises in, in the chapter 14, because if it was just a requirement, it would just be a law and we just got to do it to make him happy. But he's saying, no, this is for you. And this is how he ends in 14. Then the Lord will be your delight. I will give you great honor and I will satisfy you with the inheritance I've promised to your ancestor Jacob. So all the promises that went all the way back to Abraham about us, all the promises through Jacob and through the tribes, all of those things, God will still reinstall. He will still honor his intention. He'll still do what he said, but you have to not only do all these things and follow him, but you need to observe rest. And so I would encourage you, all of, all of you today, and, and, I'm, and I'm speaking to myself, ask God what it means for you. Ask God what a Sabbath looks like for you. How are you supposed to send it? What are you, what am I missing out right now that would actually cause us to delight in him more, to be more refreshed, to be more fruitful, and to really live out this story? And um, in my Bible, this section in Isaiah 58 is called true worship and false worship. And we didn't really talk so much about the worship aspect of it. But false worship is a worship that is convenient. False worship has all the things in the surface that looks right. You know, I'm passionate, my eyes are shut, and I'm raising my hands, and I'm, and I'm doing things, and I'm showing up, and I'm crossing my T's and dotting my I's, but there's no inward transformation. God, God doesn't really have your heart. It's a very safe worship, but true worship is like watering. True worship is watering. It's, it's following after God. And the, and the response to true worship is, is responding to the opportunities that God is giving us to be watering agents, right? And like, the, like it says in Proverbs eleven twenty five, a generous soul will be made rich and he who waters will be watered himself. So instead of doing this kind of Christianity where we just show up every now and then, and, you know, somewhat out of guilt and condemnation. We just kind of, oh, I better do some stuff right. And, uh, and I see people say, oh, I swear, Pastor, I'll, I'll be in church on Sunday. You know, I, I'm not taking attendance. I don't, I'm not looking at you like an attendance star. I'm just happy to see you. No, I'm going to come back. And 
But that's not the way to grow deep roots. The way to grow deep roots is to submit to the process that he's calling us to, to be a watering agent, to to everywhere we go, to just do his word, to follow after him, to be in positions where we have to depend on him, to be willing to look foolish before other people, to go after him. And this thing is not impressive. It's not dramatic, but it works. And time and time again, opportunity after opportunity to water, you become watered, your roots go down deep. And next thing you know, you're one of the most secure people you know. Next thing you know, it doesn't matter what's on the news anymore. You're just like, just more work for us to do. It's job security, right? We just got it's a broken world. We got work to do, but my roots are deep. I'm on a foundation. I'll not be moved. And so tonight or today, would you stand up on your feet? I want to pray for you. I believe that this word, and this is the burden I just, I've had on my heart for days about this word. I believe that this word is calling us out. I really do. I think that we fall into anywhere in the category from not knowing the Lord at all, which if you don't know him at all, if you're not saved, if you don't know Jesus, we're going to pray in a second. But then there's the kind of casual Christian or there's the Christian that was like really rocking it 24-7 for a while, but then just the cares of the world, kind of like that parable, you know, the cares of the world came and disappointment came and, and, and sometimes you just grew to a point where God was asking more of you and it was just like, I'm sorry, it's, I'm really, I'm so much better than I used to be, I'm, I'm just going to camp out here for a while, you know? And what happens is you think I can just coast a little bit, but you're fooling yourself because it just begins to creep back down. And it's just, how many of you know, it's just worse when you have had something and you lose it. It's worse than when you never had it. And so I just believe that Isaiah 58 is calling us out. It is calling us out from being casual Christians. It's calling us out from looking at this as some kind of system of just works. Well, if I just do enough good things, then I'll be okay. God doesn't care about any of the outward things. What he cares about is the condition of your heart. What he cares about is the things that you're involved in watering other people's gardens so that he's in a position to water yours. He wants you to have deep roots that you never even have to think about what the world's going to do for you. Say, I don't need the world for anything. Everything I have comes from heaven. I saw a picture years ago of an upside down tree and the tree's roots were in heaven and the fruit fell to the ground. What if, what if our roots weren't even in this world system? What if we were so confident in God's ability that anything he asked us to give, anything where he asked us to serve, any situation he put us in to be a voice, we just said, awesome, because my roots are in heaven. I'm not counting on this situation to do anything for me. But the great thing is God's never outgiven. And the situations that he puts you in, he ends up watering you through. And it's such a blessing to follow him. So let's pray this morning. First of all, for those who don't know Jesus, I, Lord, I just pray right now that you're stirring up hearts. And if you're here today and that you don't know Jesus, if you know about him, but you don't know him, you don't love him, or you're not sure if he accepts you, you don't know if you would go to heaven, if tragedy would come and you would leave this earth tonight. Do you have the confidence of knowing that your eternity is secure? And if you're here today and you don't, would you just really quick lift up your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you and make a big deal of it, but I want to know who we're praying for. Is there anybody here in this service does not know Jesus? I've never prayed. I've never allowed him to, I've never made the free gift of grace, never laid hold of it. Anybody here today? Okay, it looks like we're all saved. So now, how many would be so brave with your eyes shut and your heads bowed? How many would you be so brave to raise your hand and say, I've been a casual Christian? How many of you would say, I've not stayed in the game, and so every now and then I show up and I do my little thing, but I really, I know who I am, and I know that I'm not following. If you're a casual Christian, if you have plateaued, if you know that it could be so much bigger and better, you could be going so much further faster, but you just have gotten lazy or disappointed or hurt or Maybe it just didn't happen as fast as you thought it was going to happen. If that's you, raise your hand and let's all pray together today. Lord, I pray for every heart in this room. We hope this message encouraged you. 
Victor Christian Center is passionate about sharing the love, acceptance, and forgiveness of Jesus. Learn more about us at victorylafayette.org. If you don't know Jesus or maybe you've gotten distracted and stopped following Him, I'd like to pray for you right now. The most important decision you'll ever make involves accepting the love of Jesus and His gift of new life. I'd invite you to make this prayer your own and take this opportunity to begin to follow Jesus. God, I ask you to reveal yourself to me. I want to know you. I ask you to forgive the sin in my life that has kept me from enjoying a relationship with you. Give me a fresh start by changing my life and helping me to follow you from this point forward. I accept your love through Jesus and I commit to trust your plan for my life. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you've prayed this prayer for the first time, please get in touch with us and let us know. To learn more about Victory or to contact us, visit us online at victorylafayette.org.